Well, hello. We're going to do these every so often. We've only done one, I think, uh, what, four weeks ago or something. But whenever I get several questions in, we'll pile them together and do a special video. We have three uh, today, and I might touch on a couple of things that were, were mentioned before, but just three. The first one will take most of the time, and it's really a really good question. I got a few emails after a midweek Bible study. I believe it was the week where we called it 10 and 11 part one. Uh, First Corinthians chapters 10 and 11 part one. Uh, and they ask, well, we have to ask you the question, who told you about? And it's the interpretation of head and coverings in First Corinthians 11. And I took great pains in that midweek Bible study to say, this is what I've found. This is what I believe. This is what I think fits best, but I could be wrong. And brought up that there were um, quite a few people who would probably disagree with what I was saying. So with that said, I think it's a brilliant question. Why not ask me who told me about? Now, by the way, I don't think any of the emailers were writing in with that attitude of, well, who told you? No, I, I think it was honest questions. And I love honest questions. So here are a couple of things that helped lead me to where I am. And if you don't know what we're talking about, it would be helpful to actually watch that midweek Bible study, I believe. Um, well, I have no idea when you're watching this video. So it would have been during the month of July, about midway through July. The two main concepts in chapter 11, that first section, uh, that talk about coverings and head, um, are all about headship and what covering and uncovering means. And these are actually terms and concepts that are used all through scripture. And if we are consistent, and the way we interpret these, chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians makes a lot of sense. And my take on it would then make a lot of sense. At least that's what I feel. And again, as I said, I could be wrong, but I think it makes sense. So here we go. Ready? All the way back to the garden. When man sins, and by the way, I've, I've read something recently where somebody just pounded on, well, women, woman sinned first. Paul said so. Yeah. And then in Romans, he said, Adam sinned first. So I don't think he was trying to make a point about the, um, the weakness of a particular gender. Be very careful when you do that. But all the way back when human beings, shall we say, sinned, they hid themselves. And when God asked them why, they said, we are naked. And he said, who told you you were naked? And he covered them. Well, in that particular case, it was with the skins of animals, we're told in Scripture. But that whole concept of naked and covering is a huge thing in Middle Eastern societies all the way to the present day. As you can tell, as we have more and more people from uh, Muslim countries come into our, our, our areas or more and more Native people that are, were born and raised here become Muslim, you see them cover themselves more thoroughly or at least in a very different way. But moving on. After the flood, what happens? Well, Noah gets drunk and naked. And there was something about the nakedness being uncovered. And one of his sons laughed at this, found great amusement in him being uncovered, while others did not. And they refused to look upon 
his uncovered state and instead walked over and made sure they covered him. This, this thread keeps going and there, there are blessings to those that uncover the, um, the nakedness of others. Um, <clears throat> there are blessings to those who, who cover rather, and then there are curses to those who uncover. You can trace this all the way through Jericho, um, where Rahab covers the spies and lies and says she hasn't seen them. There's David, whenever he is, uh, he's covered in some areas and then he is, he looks at Bathsheba's uncovering. Then into the New Testament, where we find in that, that amazing little passage in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, when we're told about how secure we are in Christ. And by the way, that message will be presented, <clears throat> Lord willing, August 1st uh, at our Safe Harbor Church. So you can look for that. But in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4, there's a list of blessings we have in God. And one of them is, your life is hidden with Christ. Well, what kind of blessing is it? What does it mean to be hidden in Christ? And why is that a blessing? Well, hidden, love covers a multitude of sins, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, covering, hiding you. You are not on display. You are not there for ridicule. Your faults are not highlighted by God. You are not shoved out into the middle of the community for all to shame. More on that later. To cover another was to keep them from being vulnerable, to shelter them, to keep them from being shamed. To uncover somebody, we still use that. We uncovered these uh, sexual sins that were done by perhaps a particular denominational leadership or Boy Scout leaders back some time ago, we uncovered this and we dug into this and we uncovered. We still use those terms, even in combat. Whenever somebody has to make a mad dash across open ground, they call for their squad mates to cover them. Well, cover them means to create so much fire. It's called movement by fire. Uh, so much fire, so much noise that the enemy does not see the vulnerability of the one in the open. And so the woman praying with her head covered, she is not ridiculing the husband. The man praying with his head uncovered, he lives in a way that shows that Christ is his Lord and master. Now there's no subjection to each other here that, that's implied, and I hope it's not taken that way. It is merely nobody can hurt a man uh, like like his wife or like his mother or like somebody who knows him well. And they, in Corinth, it was just, it was a dumpster fire that ran into a train wreck. And so he's saying, just behave, be nice to each other. And guys, you remember who your head is and live in a way that uncovers it. But you can go back and listen to that again. There's also that matter of cephalos or head. Headship is a, a huge theme in scripture, but it doesn't mean what a lot of denominations insist that it does. So it's about the, you know, the husband is the head of the family. And by that, they mean in boss, in charge of, um, has the, the last say in morality, finances, or, or sex, or whatever. No, no. <clears throat> head in scripture, cephalos and head, um, meant like, well, like the patriarchs. 
did the patriarchs sit around on cushions and have you wait, you know, fan them with the big fronds and feed them grapes like in an old black and white Hollywood take on Egypt? No. As a patriarch, you were required to keep peace in the family, to protect the family, to feed the family, to make sure the family was okay, make sure the family was happy, make sure that marriages were done, that land was taken care of. You, it was responsibility, not rank. As head of the family, you weren't boss. You were chief servant of all. Jesus proves that, by the way. They were caregivers. In no Hebrew or Greek lexicon of those days, of the Bible writing days, will you find the word head meaning a dictator or a ruler. It is always the matter of chief servant of all, that responsibility, not a rank, but a very heavy weight of duty. Jesus illustrated this in terms of being a good shepherd and how he said the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Well, I gotta tell you right now, <clears throat> a shepherd is worth far more than sheep. Sheep are eminently replaceable. I can remember in Scotland is when they first cloned anything, any, any mammal, and they cloned a sheep and we're all looking at each other going, we have sheep. We got lots of sheep. We don't need another sheep. It was, didn't quite catch the understanding. We were just kids at the time. The point being, sheep are not as valuable as humans. And yet the head of them would give his life for them, will be out in the field, in the weather, exposed to the elements for them. Make sure they are moved to green pastures. Protects them. All of this is being head. And, I, and it's a shame that the word head means something different to us in the West, in the English language. And that really does cause a lot of confusion. And frankly, it has caused a lot of brutal mistreatment of women, of devaluing of women, of um, acting as if women are incapable of certain roles or, um, and, and sure, if, if I, if I want somebody to, to, to lift a car off of me, I would probably call for the guy. But the fact is that, you know, I, I would, I'd take anybody's help at that stage. I'm guessing what I'm trying to say is even in me, and I try very hard for it not to be there, I am sure there is some misogyny. I'm sure there is. And my friends, close friends, are able to help me whenever I say something that reveals that so I can change my attitude. But the word head, no, no, I'm not head over Miss Cammy. No way. I wouldn't make a decision that would hurt Miss Cammy. No, or that she would not agree with. No, if two people always agree about everything, then one of them is unnecessary. And so if she, with her brilliant mind and brain, does not agree with me, with my brilliant mind and brain, he said humbly, um, then something's going on and we're not ready to make that decision yet. We need, we need more work. And so again, my job as head of the family is to make sure that Miss Cammie thrives in whatever she chooses to do, that she is blessed, that she is fed and protected, that she is, um, she is equipped. You know, right now my wife's not working outside the home except for a few private clients. She's an interior designer of some note and all the qualifications one can have, she's got. But she takes very few, because uh, that's just where we are in our stage of life. Um, 
so I'm not advertising you. Uh, that said, my mama told me something before I even married Miss Cammie, and she said, never, never make her come to you and ask for money to go get milk. And I knew my mama's point, and I think you could ask Miss Cammie. While she does not go out and bring home a paycheck, she has access to every penny I've got and doesn't have to explain anything. I'm her head, which means I need to make sure she's provided for and has whatever tools she needs to thrive. Now, once you understand covering, uncovering, and you understand the concept of head, I think that this helps you with 1 Corinthians 11. Remember that Jesus washed the feet of the apostles just before he was arrested, and he tells them, no, you need to understand what's happening here. That I, Jesus, am over you. I'm the master, and yet I wash your feet, and I need you to understand what that means. Matthew chapter 20, uh, please, please, would you please print out Matthew 20, 24 through 26. And every time that you're going to watch anything political or any politician say anything, I don't care if they're crying or yelling, read Matthew 20, 24 through 26, that those who want to lord it over us will say they're doing it for our benefit. And Jesus says, you don't, you don't do that. You do things for others' benefit, but you don't lord over them ever. And by the way, that leads to, um, and I, and I could go on, but I hope that that helps you get a taste of how I traced it back linguistically, culturally, historically, and applied what I found when you could go back as far as you could go, which was Genesis, um, and to the, the languages in which scripture was written. That said, that brings up another one, and somebody was asking, well, uh, are you the guy that runs this new church? And, and I understand that, I really do. Uh, and we have videos that are sent in by members and a lot of them will even thank me and, and I get a little uncomfortable with that as well. In some sense, this I'm the center of what we're doing here because people have been tuning in to me telling Jesus stories and talking about God and freedom in Christ for more than 30 years. And so now we have a sound stage and the ability to do this. But you need to know that I'm accountable, not only to very, very important people like Miss Cammie, but also to my family and my friends, um, a huge core of people uh, who are supporters of Jesus Christ and who love me. They are not primarily Patrick supporters. And they're there at the soundstage. And I see them and they talk to me and they'll say, Patrick, what about this? Or this isn't working. So. Yeah, I'm the guy that the face that you're going to see and the voice that you're going to hear. Sorry, I always wished I had a different voice. But uh, I'm not really running this thing. And if you think I am, or if it looks like I am, you'd be a tremendous friend of mine by sending in an email saying, Patrick, I could be wrong. Always best to start that way. I could be wrong, but this is what I felt when I saw this. And then I'll answer you. And whether or not you take the answer and you think I'm sincere, that's... We'll work that out. Fair enough? All right. Uh, second big question that came was, and, and these will be very short. Uh, what about placing membership? Because they've been, they, they had moved and they were told now you have to place membership with this new church. Placing membership was a thing that was very, very big in um, Protestant circles. 
Now, in Catholic circles as well, you would go and register to be a part of that particular diocese or the like back in the day. I don't really know what they do today, but you would go attach yourself to one particular uh, priest, one particular bishop's area, and in the Protestants, you would come and you would say, you know, I want to be a member of this church. And I know most Baptist churches will require you to be baptized into their church, even if you've been baptized before. No, you have to be baptized into their church. And so to place membership, uh, you have to do more than fill out a card. And you have to, some churches, you had to actually walk forward doing, during a song at the end of the sermon called an invitation song that um, some people may be coming forward to pray at a little kneeling altar thing. Others may be coming for baptism. Others may be coming to confess sins. That's another subject we've talked about before. Uh, but others will be coming to say, hey, we're new in the town and we come from people of your tribe. We are, we are members of a church just like this. Uh, it's part of the same franchise, but it's in a different town. Well, that's not scripturally required. Um, and I know the scriptures used for it, for example, that they joined themselves to this when they, they entered the city, they joined themselves to the church there. But that ignores the fact that the church there was in that town would have been scattered over many houses. They didn't have a church building. It was and the elders or the leaders of that church have been scattered all over town. They wouldn't have been having meetings in a closed room and coming out and, and announcing the fiat, you know, by fiat, their, their statement of this is what we have decided. None of that was going on. And so it just means, hey, we sought out people that believe like us and we went to find them and, and got to fellowship with them. It's not the placing membership, not anything like it means to date. Now, in some churches, they do want you to place membership so that they can know they can count on you, that you'll be there. So we can ask you to teach a Bible class or that your contribution will be there. It's usually not that crass, but that can be an element involved there or that we can ask you, we know that you're gonna be around so we can in, be involved with you. I don't think there's anything wrong or sinful with that, but you, it's up to you whether you, you go ahead and place membership or not. That's, that's just entirely up to you. It's not a scriptural thing. Uh, we do ask people to join us at our safe harbor, but we, we tell them all we need is your address and phone number and email, that's it. And you can send it to me at patrick at rsafeharbor.com. We don't require you to make any commitment beyond then. Many of our people give, some are giving to local churches or local charities, and they don't have extra money to give to us. We're fine with that. You know, giving is an act of worship. Where you give really needs to be up to you, not up to us haranguing you for that. And so, yeah, we have membership, but it's merely so that we know where to send the newsletter and that we, um, we have people we could ask, hey, could you do a video for us, you know, for communion or for scripture reading or prayer, or just a, hi, you know, this is Bob and Sally, and we, we love this church, and we love Jesus, and let me tell you a story. You know, any of that type of thing, but we don't require it from anybody. Then, last and real quick, uh, a lady's doing some research for a course that she is involved in, and she asked, um, she was told to, uh, do a apostolic succession uh, um, list from Apostle Peter, who I guess is, I, I don't know what course she's taking. I'm assuming that they were saying that Peter was the first Pope, which, no, no. And we can talk about that later if enough if you want to. All the way down to Pope Francis. 
is it, is it possible, she asked, to do that, to create that line of succession? Succession, And the answer is yes, it is, if you're willing to make up a lot. The fact is that Peter never felt he was over anybody. Uh, in fact, Paul withstood him to his face, if you remember, very um, over some of Peter's um, racism, which Peter may or may not have realized that he was racist until Paul brought it up. Um, always give people the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they're just ignorant. Um, I know I have been. I don't know that I've been racist, but probably. I, I gotta face it. I, unless somebody pointed it out to me, I might not have known, right? So, point being, uh, Peter didn't act like he was poop. Neither did Clement, who's right in there. And it took a long time before the leader of the church that was in Rome was referred to as a papa or a pope and then said to be overall of the church. That took many hundreds of years. So no, you can't do a line of succession. And when you do, when you, when you do buy a history of the popes, and I've read many of those and find them fascinating and terrifying, you'll find great, great swaths of them were the most evil men you could possibly imagine. Well, does that mean Catholicism stupid and evil and wrong? No, no. It means there are people in it, and anytime you have a human system set up within the church, or you make the church fit into a human system, uh, things go wrong. And that's true about Protestant churches, Catholic churches, community churches, house churches, right? So no, you can't do a line of succession, and neither should you, because there's no point in it. You are not valued before God, and you have no rank over others merely because of who you were related to, or who ordained you, or who taught you. Every person stands before God on their own, not with the community around them. But there's one other thing you need to know. You're not really on your own. When you one day will stand before God, true, your relatives won't matter. They have no say. Your community won't. History, none of them will have a say. But Jesus will be there. And Jesus has a say. And he loves us. Hope you've enjoyed this. It went on a bit, but they were pretty important questions. Thank you. God bless you. We love you very much. If we can serve you, please just let us know. All right. Cheerio.